Heavenly Father, thank you for meeting us here. Thank you for inviting us here. Lord, I thank you for everyone who's in this room right now. Oh, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you calm our hearts and still us to be able to hear you speak. All flesh is like grass. The grass of the field withers and fades away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Um, so I wanted to propose to you this morning something we talked about on our retreat, and that is that your life and my life is a contest of voices. So we're constantly being guided and influenced, whether we know it or not, by a great crowd speaking into our life. And these voices are your friends and your family, your neighbors, people you know, who are constantly speaking into your life. They're the books we read, movies we watch music we listen to. Uh, they come at us very loudly on our Twitter feeds. I don't have Twitter, but they still come at me loudly on Twitter. I can't even imagine if I did have Twitter, what it would be like. Um, any type of social media, constantly. We, we hear these voices at work, uh, at school, in our classrooms. We hear them on street corners and posters. You hear them when you hear a TED talk or when a pastor preaches a sermon you're hearing a voice. And I call this a contest of voices because all of these voices are competing for your attention and your influence to influence how you live and what you think and what you do. All of those are influencing you at all the times. And I think uh, we live in a really unique moment uh, just as human beings because mass media and Steve Jobs have taken all those voices and cranked them up and I think we hear more voices more often and more loudly and with less time for editing than any other previous generation in the world. Uh, somebody who's brave, define cacophony for me really quick. How would you describe that? Loud clamor, what did you say? Lots of different sounds. Uh, so Oxford Dictionary, you can track the usage of the word. You guys know what I'm talking about? Did you ever look something up online? So like sublime was really popular in the 17th century, but now it's just a, an old band from the 90s. Uh, the word cacophony in our generation has skyrocketed in usage, which is really interesting. Uh, for some reason, our generation identifies with the word cacophonous. Tons of loud noises coming at us all the time. So we experience that. And a lot of different people in this room, uh, and whether you're here as a Christian or you're here and you're just visiting, we're super thrilled you're here, but I think we can all probably agree that we understand this dynamic of, of being in a place where we're always hearing people speak and scream, almost. Can I get some head nods? You guys feeling on that? And I hope you can also agree that some of those voices are good and some of them are bad. So we live in this tension, which is epitomized in the angel on the shoulder and the devil on the shoulder, which actually goes all the way back to the Middle Ages. Uh, and my favorite modern iteration is from The Emperor's New Groove, where Kronk has this dilemma, and he has an angel and a devil, and the devil's like, don't listen to that guy. He's trying to lead you down the way of righteousness. He's trying to lead you down the way that rocks. And Kronk is hilarious. But we get that tension. And then we're left with the enormous task of deciding which ones we are going to listen to, reject, or tolerate. And you do this without even knowing, and so do I. Even if you're not thinking throughout your day, I'm, I'm giving sway to certain things and not others. You are. So am I. Some of them you tolerate, and you wouldn't like to admit that you listen to, but you do. 
Some of them you flat out reject, and some of them you really give influence to. So how do you navigate that? What is the answer to that predicament? That's kind of what I want to talk about this morning. I love how relatable the Bible is, and the Psalms and the Proverbs are some of the most earthy, kind of gritty human books in the Bible, and both of them speak really, really loudly into this dynamic of life being a contest of voices. All the voices in the world in the book of Proverbs are kind of packaged into two main characters, and that is wisdom and foolishness. And they're both personified as women, and both of them speak and try to grab your attention throughout the book. Okay, so, so Max read this beautifully. Let's start in verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cries to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. Fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. So wisdom is literally standing at the street corner, and she's screaming at you, trying to get your attention. But so is folly or foolishness. And she is there imitating wisdom. This is really interesting, right? She's the venom to uh, wisdom's Spider-Man or the golem to Schmeagel. Pick your, pick your dichotomy character, okay? Look at chapter 9, 13. It's on the right side of the page. The woman folly is loud. I love that. If I thought it was Proverbs, I would have picked a different word. It's just like she's super loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town and like wisdom calls to those who pass by. Whoever is simple, notice that's how uh, wisdom opened her, her word. Whoever's simple, whoever's simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So there it is. You're walking down the street to go to work or class or to get groceries, and these two women are trying to get your attention. They're marketing to you. Um, as I've read the book of Proverbs, and I love this book, I feel like wisdom, if you could kind of sum it up, what she's crying to, to ask you to do, she's crying to get you to lift your eyes up and out. That's, I think, how I would describe it. So wisdom wants you to set your eyes on eternal things, not temporal things. So she wants to get you out of your moment and kind of set your eyes on God first and foremost and to think about the things of God and engage with him and engage with things of eternity which matter. She wants you to set your eyes on others and not yourself. So if you read the book of Proverbs, she's constantly like, hey, when you get home, you are not the most important person in the world. Notice your kids. Notice your friends or your family or your spouse. Think about the poor. Everything is not about you. She's constantly trying to draw your, your eyes out to others instead of yourself. And then she's constantly trying to get you to set your eyes on the present and the future and not just immediate gratification. This is the one which hits home to all of us. So she's like, I know you're tired, but don't hit snooze. Go to work. You know, she's like, look at the squirrel. It's gathering nuts. That's a wise thing to do. You should do the same in your own life. Think about the future. So wisdom calls and she raises her voice. 
But folly is the exact opposite. And we know this voice very well. So throughout Proverbs, foolishness is trying to get you to draw your eyes as inward as possible. From eternal things and the things of God purely to the temporal. From others and those around you to yourself. From the future to immediate gratification, whatever's right in front of you. So you're walking down the street and you're being really responsible and you're walking the, the narrow way and foolishness is like, hey, 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 come here, come here, come here. She's like, shh, here's a, here's a donut, eat it. She's like, eat another one, here's another donut, here's a glass of wine. I'll pick up the tab, don't worry about it. She's like, your job is boring. You know you hate it. Commitments are lame. Your spouse is boring. God's boring. Live a little, loosen up. Nobody's going to know about it. Come on, just stolen water is sweet. And somehow foolishness is really flattering. So that as she's telling you, she's like, you deserve this. Nobody else understands you like I do. Treat yourself. We know this voice. Amen? And it's loud. And here's what I I think is shocking about this passage is that folly is marketing to you. And she is seductive. She's literally on the street corner. And our culture has a billion dollar industry that does this to us all the time. Uh, Without sounding like a curmudgeon or something, I feel like for me, I could have said like, you know, the woman folly is loud. It's like the woman Netflix is loud. I come home and should be having a conversation with my wife that we need to have or paying bills or whatever. And I'm like, watch one more episode of Chef's Table and I'll be good or something. It's loud. Um, We hear so many voices constantly that are putting ourselves in front of everything else. Look inward. It's all about you. And people get rich off of that, that dynamic. And even though, you know, whatever, Kronk and Netflix and stuff are kind of can be trivial. Uh, notice at the end of the folly thing, it is a kind of trivial voice, and yet the dead are there. Do you notice that? It's gravely serious. When your eyes turn inward, it is a bad thing. It leads to death. Okay, this dynamic comes up in the book of Psalms, uh, but when I read the book of Psalms, there's actually a different voice that I think is louder and more prominent in the Psalter, which is another word for the book of Psalms. And that is the voice of the accuser. Okay? You'll see this as wicked, scoffer. There's a lot of names for it, but I want to combine that into the voice of the accuser. It's a different voice. Folly is seductive. She's beautiful. You actually want to go hang out with her. The accuser's different. He wants you to feel miserable. The accuser comes at you to crush you with his voice. Make you feel worthless, cut you down, make you feel insecure, inadequate, shameful, full of doubt. So listen to this from Psalm 10. This is all poetry, but I hope you see what I mean. That's very human. You can relate to this. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul and the pride of his face, all his thoughts are, there's no God. He says in his heart, I will not be moved. Talk about this in retreat. My image of this is always like a cowboy villain like super bad and he knows he's wrong he's like you want to mess with me he says in his height I should not be moved his mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression he lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket he lurks that he may seize the poor so he's searching for the weak and the vulnerable 
And the scoffer, the accuser, he taunts you. So listen to this from Psalm 42. As with a deadly wound in my bones, how this guy's describing it, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Or in Psalm 102, my heart is struck down like grass and has withered. It's an amazing way to describe when you feel despondent. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. I forget to eat my bread. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day, my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. So they don't just trick you into folly. They just come at you and taunt you. And they shake you up. They tear your, your personhood down. They cause cracks in the foundation of what's ever under you. They call it into question, whether it's the love of those around you or faith or anything else. The accuser wants to destroy you. And even though that might sound different than the Psalms in your life, we recognize that voice too. Amen? So life is a contest of voices. You have good and bad voices out there. And these two, I think, are two huge ones that come at you. And depending on your personality, it depends on how you engage with these. So, so some of you are like, I feel great. But actually, wow, I do realize my life is kind of all about me. And others of you are like, I try everything I can possibly do to get my eyes up and out, and I feel miserable. I feel like I never can do enough. Voices that come at us would want to push you in both of those directions to despair. Do you see the difference? Again, I think where you're at would depend on uh, how you feel with both of those two. But the task for us remains, how in the world do you navigate that? How do you pick out which ones you want to listen to? How do you know when you're, you're being seduced by folly or you're being crushed by untruth of the accuser? Let's look at Psalm 1 together, which we said together. This is the beginning of the book of Psalms. It's one of the most famous psalms, and it's the reason why we call our children's ministry Treehouse. We don't have any branding or any names for it yet. One day we will. We'll get there, okay? Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law, or the word, of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. Planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Someone is saying this. There is one voice in this world that you want to cling to like a mast on a boat in the middle of the storm. And that is God's word. You cling to it. You delight in it. You meditate you focus yourself on it, and then you reject the voice of folly and the voice of the accuser. And when you do that, you will be planted like a tree by streams of living water. We went uh, apple picking the other day after it had just rained, and it was idyllic. Gorgeous orchard, and all the, the apples were dripping with water. It was just the, it was Edenic. What a good word. I don't get to say that every week. It was Edenic. And you get planted like that, full of fruit, flourishing. To get at the unique power of the word of God, I think it's apt that we should let God's voice speak for God's voice. Amen? 
So I'm going to do something a little unique. I'm just going to read a bunch of scripture. So loosen up your shoulders for a second and know that I'm about to do this. Let this just wash over you. Think about this as a voice amongst voices. God's word says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. And keeping them, there is great reward. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The word of the Lord. But she just kind of wanted me to keep going. Blessed is the one who makes this word their central, loudest voice in their life. That's what Psalm 1 is saying. Our great example of this is Jesus himself. Jesus knew from a young age what God had called him to do, which was go to death on a cross for the life of the world, to become poor so that we might all become rich by his poverty. Uh, what a beautiful life Jesus had, and he had a hard calling that none of us can imagine. He knew it his whole life. And something fascinating about Jesus is his entire life, everyone tried to convince him to not do it. No one throughout his time to the end consistently told Jesus, you keep on listening to the Father's voice. 
So his first temptation is with the devil, and the devil actually twists uh, God's word to try to get him to stop. Voice of Father, take it easy. Just bend down, and everybody will worship you, and you can be commanders of so much. Just stop. And Jesus would quote back God's word to him, and he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then later on, his best buddies, so Peter and all these friends he has, who are in his confidence, he starts to tell, here's what's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to die on the cross and I'm going to rise again. And all his best friends say, no, 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 don't do that. Absolutely not. We'll never let that happen. But Jesus, the loudest voice in his life was God's voice, his father's voice. Can you imagine if you knew that you had to do something that was right and it was super hard and every person in your life, the people you love most, were around you going, no, 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 that's too hard. Don't do that. Don't do that. You don't have to do this. <laughs> How could you even handle the, the willpower to push through that? Jesus could because he was a Psalm 1 guy. I love that about Jesus. If you cut Jesus, he just poured out scripture. He was so full of it. So life is a contest of voices, and the way forward to us to navigate this is to imitate Jesus in putting God's word and his voice first. And uh, do you notice in, in John 10, Jesus says, which Michael read, my sheep hear my voice, they know my voice. They learn how to, to pick it apart from the thief who kills and steals and destroys. And as you learn to listen to God's voice, you're able then to notice the voice of folly, the voice of the accuser, and to reject it. So the last question for all of us to address is this. How in the world do we do this practically? What does it look like to live a Psalm 1 life? Well, the first thing that the Bible says in the Old Testament all through is just fill your life with it. Write it everywhere in your house. Fill your earbuds with it. Just put it everywhere. You're brushing your teeth. You've got to post a note with it, and you just want to constantly get it around you. But something more practically, which has to do with this new church plan, uh, as we're talking about how awesome is this place, is this. Um, we learned last week that the church is the house of God. It's where God dwells, right? Because he dwells in us. And in God's house, God speaks. So throughout all of history, wherever God dwelled, God spoke. He used actual words with James sometimes. He goes, ah, my three-year-old, Marissa and I say, use your what? Use your words, you know. Be a big boy. God uses words, actually. So when, when uh, Jacob met God in that passage last week, what did God do? He spoke. The burning bush, Mount Sinai, tabernacle, tent, place of meeting, everything. God spoke where God dwelled. And God gave his people his word in the Bible and throughout history, throughout the history of the church, people have done what we are doing. We come together and we gather around the word of God, which is spoken over us. We hear God speak. And even though the Bible was written a long time ago, God's spirit always works with God's word. When creation is formed, God speaks creation into existence. But where's the spirit? He's hovering, working with God's word. Uh, we talked about this in a previous service. In the Valley of Dry Bones, when Ezekiel has this image of all these skeletons becoming people, it's the spoken voice, but what happens? The wind rushes in. And in our liturgy of the word, when you hear God's word read and preached and spoken over you, God's spirit is hovering over you to make that word come alive. Amen? So we encounter God's word in church as the word of God. 
That's really important. We believe that happens. Blessed is the community that makes that word their delight and their meditation together as a group of people, a people of one voice. So the image I want to leave you with is this. We talked about this a little bit under a tree. You guys know in like sci-fi movies, spaceships or submarines, there are those doors that make a sound when it closes like um, I want you to imagine when you come to church, there's a cacophony in your mind. There's a cacophony on your phone. There's a cacophony in your computer and just your life. And when you come into this place, you hear a, a closing and that it goes silent and that this is the place where God speaks, where his voice is the main voice. This is the place of God's word. Amen. The years after I graduated from college were some of my darkest years. Um, it was a time when I think I felt uh, I was in the camp of I was trying to do everything right, but I just felt crushed and I felt like I was constantly being tormented by a lot of voices in my life that were just questioning and shaking up everything I believed in and knew and people and everything. So I was just crushed. I understand when the psalmist says, like a deep wound in my bones, I feel the voice of the accuser. That was me. Okay. So much of this had to do with my faith and actually God's word. So I, I was struggling with the voice of God, particularly in scripture. I had a lot of issues with it. I had a strange relationship with it. So in the book of, uh, called The Magician's Nephew by C.S. Lewis, which is one of the Chronicles of Narnia, there's a character named Andrew, and Uncle Andrew actually has, in a way, listened to the voice of folly for so long that he can't hear the voice of Aslan, who is the lion that represents Jesus. Sorry if you've never read the Chronicles of Narnia, but hopefully this will make sense. So everybody else, when Aslan talks, they hear this beautiful, sweet, powerful voice but Uncle Andrew hears a lion snarling and growling at him, and it's terrifying. He couldn't hear it. And for me, during that period, God's word sounded more like growls and snarls than everything I just read about God's word being pure and clean and joy and everything like that. But my healing happened in a little Anglican church plant, actually. Uh, even though I was tormented, I was full of doubt and grief and like uh, self-loathing, I would come every week into this small community and I would do what you guys are doing. I would sit there and I would be quiet and I would listen. And this church that I was in was faithful to preach the Bible because they loved the Bible. And they did it in a compassionate and consistent way. They also did it in a way where they didn't water it down to the point where it was no longer recognizable as the authoritative word of God, which is true and beautiful and has the power to give life. They just spoke it. And sometimes, because I was in that stage, I would bristle under it. I remember physically reacting to it as I was hearing God's word spoken over me. Sometimes I would clench my, my chair if there was a part that I either disagreed with or struggled with. But slowly, uh, that season of life, sitting in the seat and having God's word spoken, and being in the place where God's word was, was the rebuilding of my life. Uh, the words that were spoken over me were like a river that just washed over me and smoothed out my rough, rough edges. And slowly but surely took my eyes and lifted them up and outward. So where I had been seduced and drawn into myself, drew me out, where the accuser had crushed me, God's word always gives life, and as it came over me slowly, it 
build me back up into life. That church, that house of God was the place where I heard God's word. He spoke there. And I don't know if you, any of you relate to that story in any way or form. Some of you here have a lot of different reactions to when I talk about a world of voices and how you pick and how you choose. Some of you have an interesting relationship with God's word. But I want you to know, wherever you're at, we're so glad you're here. We want you here with your rough edges, your questions, your doubts, your cracked foundations. We want all of that. And my prayer is that this would be an awesome place where you hear and feel and know that God is speaking over you. I pray that you would experience God's word like a river that washes over you and rounds out your rough edges and gives you life. So my prayer is that we all, as a people of one voice, would be like a tree planted by streams of water. Amen? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, continue to speak to us. Make us a people who loves your word and experiences the goodness and the flourishing and the joy that were described in those passages we read today. We ask all of this in the name of your son, the word of God. Amen.